Well, we're going to have a good time this morning. I want to jump right into it. If you have your Bibles, won't you go with me to the book of Song of Solomon, or maybe in your Bibles it says Song of Songs. Uh, we've been in this collection of talks called uh, Love Songs, and it's been, it's been really amazing. We've talked a little bit about, uh, about dating, about, uh, we've talked a little bit about, uh, you know, the, uh, the art of attraction, uh, having that inner beauty, that, that attractional quality of character in your life. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about conflict. Uh, so hopefully you came ready to jump into that. But I love this particular passage of scripture or this book of, of scripture. A lot of people, they don't, they don't preach from this one. This is one of those, uh, those books of the Bible that's uh, it's a little bit X-rated, if I'm honest. Like you can read through uh, Song of Solomon, and you can start to blush a little bit. I mean, I, I heard that uh, in the Jewish tradition uh, that you weren't allowed to read this until you were a teenager. And probably even at that, you probably had to read it with your mom uh, so you wouldn't get too excited. Uh, <laughs> but that didn't get a big laugh. But anyway... Uh, my mom's here, so. <laughs> but uh, before before we read the passage of scripture that I want to I want to unpack today, I wanted to give a shout out to someone and celebrate them for a moment uh, because we in, we are in this this collection called Love Songs, so it is about love and it's about relationships. Um, but I not only want to honor this person because they are the love of my life, but also because this past week it was her birthday, and so I want to honor my wife Jennifer uh, really quick. <laughs> And I, we got you some flowers right here. Come on, I wanted to just, just bless you. But in order for you to get these, you got to give me a kiss in public in front of everybody. She's not a PDA person. We love you so much, babe. Uh, I, love, uh, I love Jeffrey. I don't know where Jeffrey's sitting right over here. He's one of our dream team members. He calls Jennifer the first lady. <laughs> so first lady, we love you so much. Thank you for everything that you do for our family, and thank you for who you are to our family. She turned 21 years old this week, and so... Awesome. Uh, if you have your Bible, Song of Solomon, let me just r- remind you of just a couple of things really quick. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Before I do, I wanted to say something really, really fast. I'm so thankful for our dream team. That, that's what we call those that, that serve here, that help in our kids' ministry and set up and load in and load out and all those things and worship. All, all, all the people that you see that are serving every weekend, these people, they volunteer their time to do that because they love our city. They love Jesus. They love establishing the church and building the church and building God's kingdom. And I just want to say being gone last weekend uh, was just one of those moments where I was flying home Sunday morning uh, because my father passed away and went to be with Jesus on Friday. And so I was flying home Sunday while you guys were here experiencing church. And uh, I heard that we had one of our largest Sundays. We had uh, 148 people were here last uh, last week. And it's great. And uh, and our team did that. And here's a thought I had is what I'm a part of is greater than the part I play. What I'm a part of is greater than the part that I play. And I'm just grateful to be a part of a great team. And we do have a great team. I think about even Nate preaching last week. Uh, I listened to the podcast this week. You did so good, man. I'm so proud of you. How many of you, you were here? You heard Nate? Love you. We had to give him a rep before uh, this baby comes because they're, they're, him and Kayla, they're about to have this precious little baby here in the next few days or so. And I just want to say, say man, I'm so proud of you. We have, we're so blessed as a church. We have a team of communicators. We have uh, Pastor Josh. We have Andy. We have Nate. We have Gabby right over here. My wife, Jennifer. I'm trying to think who else is here. There's other people. I'm probably missing someone. But we have a team of people that communicate. And I think we're really blessed to have that. People that not only love God, but have a grace and a gift to be able to communicate God's word. And you'll be hearing from some of them this year. And I'm so thankful that it's not just a bunch of men that are talking heads here, but we have some females that are some incredible preachers and communicators. Gabby and my wife, Jennifer, they, they are amazing communicators. And so you'll be hearing from them this year. But I love you guys so much. Thank you uh, for, for this past weekend. 
Um, th- this collection of talks, Song of Songs, uh, it's a Hebrew idiom is where they get Song of Songs from. Song of Songs, maybe you've heard something like this, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Holy of Holies. And that Hebrew idiom, it simply means this. It's the greatest song of a collection of songs. And uh, when you read it in First Kings, it says that the Song of Solomon, which was a king, he was the son of King David, who was the greatest worshiper of all time. Uh, the Bible says that in First Kings that Solomon, he actually wrote 1,005 songs. Uh, but the Song of Solomon, many people attribute uh, this song to him. This was his greatest song. It was his song of all of his songs. Out of 1,005 songs, this was his greatest hit. And so we've been unpacking this particular song, and we, we love it because there's a lot of truth in it. Uh, even though it's written as a song and as poetry, there's, there's still this amazing insight and principles in there as it relates to love and relationships and even human sexuality. Um, there's three different characters that you see within this song. You see uh, the lover, who is the man who is supposedly Solomon. You see the lover. Uh, you see the beloved, which is the Shulamite maiden. It's the, the, the woman there. And then you see uh, the friends, which is the daughters of Jerusalem. Uh, and you'll see these different people within uh, this story here or within this poem. And sometimes it's confusing to figure out who it is. And so I'll do my very best uh, to let you know who it is. Uh, but let me read you this theme verse that we've been uh, unpacking here for a little while out of the Song of Solomon. Here's what it says in uh, chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, uh, Solomon's Song of Songs, let him, this is the woman, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Hello, church. For your love is more delightful than wine, even great Cabernet from California. It says, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. In other words, what this person is saying here, what this woman is saying is, Solomon, your love is so amazing. Your love is so beautiful. It's like a fragrance. When you walk into a room, literally your love, the way that you love people, the way that you care for people, it shifts an atmosphere. It can, literally, it can change an atmosphere the way that you love. And she's saying this, it's a joy to be around you. It's, 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 pleasing. It's refreshing to be around you because of the way that you love. And we, we, we chose this little verse of scripture right here because isn't that what you want in your marriage? Like you want to, to, to be a person that loves in such a way that you have a reputation of your love. The way that you love your wife or the way that you love your husband, the way that you love your children, that you have a reputation that you love like God. That, that's been our goal. That's what we set our target towards, saying, God, we want to have a love like that. We want to love and care for people like that. And so that's been our pursuit. But here's going to be the main verses that we're going to unpack today because I love it because in chapter one through four, it's a lot of like, you know, figurative talk. Like he's talking about uh, the Shulamite woman saying things like, uh, your, your breasts are like twin gazelles, whatever that means, you know. <laughs> and then she's saying to him, like, you're like a, a sachet lying between my breasts. And we're like, can you even say that in church? What is a sachet? Helen Cage, you can't even contain yourself. Huh? <laughs> Have you ever written a song like that? No, d- please don't, please don't. But it's, it's crazy. So, so chapter one through four, it's very provocative and, and, and very kind of sexual in the language. And they're they're wooing one another, and they're pursuing one another, and they're just talking about how much they love one another. And then um, you, you get to this place where now they've, they've consummated their marriage. Now they're married, and uh, I'm sure they went on a great honeymoon. And now in chapter 5, they're actually at this point, they're a married couple. And I'm, I'm assuming that the, the honeymoon is over. And uh, at this point, they're just doing life. Uh, but then you see a little friction 
in the relationship. You see a little conflict in this moment. And so in chapter 5, we're going to read this. Verse uh, number 1 here. It says, I slept, but my heart was awake. This is what she says. She's asleep at home. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my beloved is knocking. So picture this. She's in the bed. She's, she's trying to go to sleep, but she hears a knock at the door. It says, my beloved is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. Who talks like that? My head is drenched, he says, with dew. My hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken, and this is what she says to him. So he's on the door knocking, saying, open up the door. Let me come in. Uh, my darling, my love, my sweetness, my honey, honey, bunches of oats. You know, she, he's out there just talking to her. And she says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Here's what she's saying. I have a headache. Not tonight. Hello. All the married people say amen. She says, I've taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? And then it says this. Here's how he reacts to that. My beloved, she says, thrust his hand through the door, the latch opening. Sounds like he punched a hole in the wall. My heart, she says, now, what a change. My heart began to pound for him now. She's changed her mind. <laughs> I arose to open, uh, open up for my beloved, and as I opened the door, my hands were dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened up the door for my beloved, but my beloved, he had left. He's gone. He's left me. He was gone. She says, my heart, it sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called to him. But he didn't answer. I texted him and he never responded. And then she says this, the watchman found me. So she went outside looking for him. The watchman in the city, they found me as they made their rounds in the city. And it says that they, they beat me. This is what she says. They begin to beat me. And they bruised me. And they took away my cloak. Those watchmen of the walls. She's, she's beat up now. And then she says, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. Uh, if you can find my beloved, um, what will you tell him? And this is what she says. Will you tell him that I am faint with love for him? And so this is a picture of this, this fight that happens, this relational breakdown. Now he's reacted and he's left her, and now she's just beating herself up over it. This is a poem. But I think there's amazing, amazing insight for us. Now, here's the thing. As I read this, there's two ways that I want to make sure you read this and we lean into this. Uh, number one is... Listen to this for you, not for her or him. Okay, that's rule number one. Listen to this message for you, not for the, the woman sitting next to you or the man sitting next to you. This message is for you. Somebody say, this is for me. This is for me. Look at your person sitting next to you and say, this isn't for you. Say, this is for me. This is how we listen to this. And number two, the way that we lean into messages like this is we hear this with the future in mind, not the past in mind. That is that if we've made mistakes in our past, we don't, we're, we're not dragging up the past. We're saying, God, we're looking forward to the future, and we will, uh, we will adjust our life around your word. And so here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about, uh, this is the way I branded this, fighting forward, fighting forward. Every couple fights, it's just a part of it. Uh, healthy couples, they fight uh, clean. Uh, unhealthy couples, they fight dirty. Healthy couples, they fight uh, to resolve an issue, uh, unhealthy couples fight to win an issue. 
But I think that Christian marriages, Christian couples, Christian relationships, we are to fight. Listen, we are to fight not to be right, but always to be restored. We're to fight not to be right, but to always be restored. Here's why. Because when one wins, we both lose. When one wins, we both lose. So we're going to talk about fighting forward. How do we fight fair? How do we, how do we fight in such a way that we can still move forward in our marriage? So let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that today you're going to use uh, both this poetry, th- these poems, and this uh, collection of poetry, uh, along with other scriptures, God, and, and the burden that you've placed on my heart uh, for healthy marriages, for healthy relationships. And God, I pray that you would speak to every single heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you clap your hands for God's word today? Hey, one of my favorite things to do uh, is... And this hasn't always been the case, but as a pastor, one of my favorite things to do is uh, weddings and funerals, weddings and funerals. I, I used to not like doing weddings and funerals. Matter of fact, when I was a, a young pastor, year number one as a pastor, uh, I remember being in my mentor's office and I said, Man, I will never do a funeral. I will never do a funeral. I walked outside, my wife texted me or called me and she said that her uncle had passed away and they asked for me to do the funeral. So I found never say never. But I used to hate doing funerals. I hated doing weddings. But now I, I have found that it's one of my greatest honors as a pastor uh, to be able to, to lead someone in marriage into covenant marriage. It's a blessing. And even to be able to perform someone's funeral uh, is a blessing. But listen, um, the event is not the part that I love so much. A lot of times it's the, it's the preparation that goes into um, to those particular things. For instance, for funerals, I love uh, whenever I get to uh, hopefully pray with someone and lead them to Christ before uh, before they, they close their eyes on this earth. That's an amazing honor for me to get to do that, to get to pray with someone that maybe they, they haven't lived the perfect life, but now they come to a place where they're able to receive Christ. So I like to do that, prepare people for eternity, but I also like to prepare people for marriage. Now, while Jennifer and I, we're not gurus, we're not experts, uh, we've been married now for 12 glorious years. And... Uh, 12 glorious years, and uh, we've been dating for 20 years or so, uh, so we're not perfect, we're not gurus, we're not experts, but we have learned a few things through trial and error, and, and one of the things that we love doing with married co- or young couples that are engaged is we like to do uh, pre-marriage counseling, and when we do pre-marriage counseling, different topics come up. We, we talk about when are you going to have kids, we talk about how you're going to handle your finances, we, we ask all kinds of questions, and one of the topics that comes up is sex. We'll start talking about sex. And, um, and, and, and that's usually, it's pretty light. It's not too, too intense. We don't like dig into everyone's business, but we do, we do try to help, um, especially the, 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 the male in the relationship. We like to help set up proper expectations. Uh, and, and the funniest thing is when you begin to ask these questions about sex, um, it's, it's amazing the contrasting responses you will get between the male and the female. And, uh, you know, men say some of the dumbest things. You know, women are like, women are like, well, you know, we just, we just, it's, it's, we just, we love each other and it's just, and you know, we just want to just love each other. And, and men are like, I mean, how, how often can we have sex? You know, it's like, <laughs> some of the most ridiculous things. And, and so I'll, I'll try to help a brother out. And so I'm like, let me, let me just, let me help you here, okay, uh, is there a certain expectation you have in your mind of frequency of, of intimacy? And, and without fail, they're, they're like, well, you know, the Bible does say not to withhold, doesn't it? And I'm like, wrong response, bro, wrong response. You need to go back to seminary, okay? 
or you'll be in a cemetery because she will kill you if you have that type of theology when it comes to sex. Uh, but, you know, one of the best things I've ever heard was this guy goes, uh, I, I think the frequency is we should have sex only on days that begin with T. And I was like, oh, okay. I've never heard this one before. He was like, yeah, Tuesday and Thursday, Tatterday, Tunday, and Tinsday. <laughs> Every day that starts with T, we should, we should have sex. Um, but I love this because, because really it's, a, it's an issue of expectation. And what you see in this particular story in, in Song of Solomon chapter 5 is this guy, Solomon, if you will, shows up to the door and, and, and if you look, we don't know exactly the time, but we know that he says that there's dew in my hair because of the dampness of the night. It's either late, late, late in the night or early, early the next morning. Either way, the picture that you see is that she had an expectation that he was going to be home at a certain time, but he didn't show up. And now she's in bed and she's turning down while he's showing up trying to turn up, if you know what I mean. And so he shows, somebody said, right? So he shows up to the door, and as he walks up to the door, he's like looking at his watch. He's like, I wonder if it's too late. And he's like leaning over at the door, and he's just kind of, he's just kind of knocking a little bit. My sister, notice the progression. My sister, my darling, my dove, my lovey, lovey. I mean, it's just like getting hotter and hotter, right? And she's on the other side, and I just imagine this young Shulamite woman rolling her eyes thinking, who does this fool think he is? Going to show up late. He didn't call me, let me know he was going to be late from work, and now he's probably hung out with the fellas all night and whatever, and she's in here. Now, she has an unmet expectation because she was expecting him to be home at a certain time, and now he's knocking on the door thinking, well, chapters 1 through 4, she was talking about how I could climb up her like a palm tree and stuff because that's what it says, and, and that her breasts were like, like fawns, and I thought I was going to a petting zoo tonight, and, like, you know, like, it's the craziest thing. And this guy walks up to the door. Some of you are like, is this church? Yes, it's, in the, it's the Bible. Read it. I'm not making this up. You'd be amazed. Some of you, if you just start reading your, reading your Bible, you probably wouldn't even have to go to the movies. I mean, it's intense. You got love, war, sex. It's crazy. And he's leaning up to the door. He's knocking. And he's thinking, man, tonight, tonight's the night. And he's knocking. He's knocking. He's like, hey, girl, what's up? Holla at your boy, you know. And she says, you think I'm going to put my robe back on now? I've already taken my robe off. I've already drank my night tea. I'm, I've already, I'm laying in bed. I'm, I'm halfway asleep, and you, you're trying to come and approach me in this way, and you have that expectation. And it says that he, he thrust his hand through the door. Now, I, I don't know if that means that he just kind of, like, forcefully guided his hand through a hole in the door and, and was trying to unlock it. But thrusting your hand through something, to me, sounds like he just got really upset. And because of her response or her reaction to his approach and his expectation, and because now his expectation is unmet and her expectation is unmet, now there's frustration in their home and he's punching holes through stuff. I, I love that the Bible puts that in there because this is what I think a lot of uh, relationships look like. Um, I, I was studying um, this particular passage of scripture and I was also looking at different resources, both sacred and secular, and uh, some from the counseling, marriage counseling type uh, uh, sector. And this is what I discovered. It, it said this, it says, the general consensus, this is one uh, article that I read, the general consensus among experts, counselors, therapists, and professionals is that the number one cause for divorce is not infidelity, 
betrayal, or financial stress. The number one cause for divorce in marriages is this, unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. It's the number one cause. It's the root cause of almost every fight. The reason people are, uh, they commit adultery is because there was an expectation that they had that wasn't met. There was a need that they had, a legitimate need, but it, now it's being met in an illegitimate way. It's, it's unmet expectations. It comes down to that. Look what James chapter 4 says. What causes fights and quarrels among you, the writer of James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. In other words, our inner desires, our inner expectations that we have to get something that we don't have, when we don't get them, that's what causes the fights. Why? Here's why. Listen, because we're all naturally self-centered people that only have expectations for other people to serve us. That's our natural bent because we're human. Pinch yourself right now. Just pinch your hand right here. You feel that? You're made of flesh. You're, you, you're human and, and you have this survival instinct where you care mostly about yourself. And then you have kids, and then you start to kind of care about them a little bit. But, but naturally, all of us, we are self-centered, self-seeking, self-preserving people. We care about ourselves. We're self-centered. We see this uh, in some form in every single relationship. So what's going on here? Maybe she's expecting him to be home earlier. She's looking at her watch. He hasn't even texted me, and I can't believe that he didn't call me and tell me he was going to be late. And then he's reminding her uh, from before, chapters 1 through 4, about how you wanted me to do this and that with you. And now, and there's just frustration, and we see this in marriages. We see this in relationships where there's these expectations that we have, and we project them on the other person. And then when those expectations aren't matched with the right experience that matches the expectation, then we just want to kill the person at times. This is just the truth of relationships. Look at this. Watch this. Proverbs, the same writer of Song of Solomon, Proverbs, King, Saul, King Solomon said this in Proverbs chapter 13. Hope deferred. You know what hope is? It's an expectation of something. Hope deferred. Expectation deferred makes, watch this, the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled or an expectation fulfilled, it's a tree of life. You know why so many marriages are in a place where they feel sick? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Say, like, that person makes me sick. You know why? Because there's expectations that they had for that relationship, and they're not experiencing what they were expecting. And now, because their hope is deferred, their heart has become toxic and sick towards that person. So how do you deal with unmet expectations? Here's, here's a few things, and this isn't on the screen, but I just want to just kind of throw these out there to you. First, you have to clearly identify your expectations. It would be a good thing to sit down and, and to gain some self-awareness and self-understanding, not just self-awareness, but self-understanding about the expectations that you do have. What are the expectations that are not being met by your spouse that you have? I would encourage you to take time to write those down. You have to first identify what are the expectations that you have that are not being met. And watch this. This is key. How does it make you feel? That's a part that a lot of people, they, they don't identify until they get into a fight, and now their feelings arise, and now they say things like this, you always or you never, and then you crush the spirit of your spouse. And so one of the most healthy things you can do is open up God's word, that's a good place to start, open up your journal, and then begin to think, what are the expectations that I have for my husband? or for my wife, or for my partner, for my companion, whatever. What are the expectations that I have that are not being met 
write down the expectation and then say this, what are the feelings, how, or how does that make me feel when they don't meet that expectation? First, identify those things. You'd be amazed if you would take time to do that. You may come to realize that some of your expectations may be unhealthy. You may also realize that some of those expectations are healthy expectations, and you should have those expectations. But the first thing you got to do is you got to clearly identify those expectations. Number two, you have to clearly define those expectations. I think you need to do this together. Jennifer and I, we did this years ago, something called a vision retreat. Uh, we learned this from uh, Dr. Jimmy Evans. He's like a marriage kind of guru that had a terrible marriage when he was younger. Later on, uh, him and his wife got really did a, a, a miracle in their marriage, restored their marriage, and now they've become amazing ministers to those that, that are trying to get their marriage in a healthy place. But he has a book called A Vision Retreat for your marriage, and you break away for two to three days, and it has a series of questions that you ask, and you just, you, with no distractions, you walk through this workbook, and you begin to identify um, the, the areas of your life where there's expectations, hopes, desires, vision, and you get vision for that together with your spouse. Now, let me just tell you, when you do that together with your spouse, spouse there can be tension there can even be fights and arguments within that. You'd be amazed when you really start digging into certain questions in your life to ask, what is my vision for how we'll discipline our children? And then based on, watch this, based on your, your upbringing as a, as a child, your experience, now you will project your old experience as a new expectation within your marriage, and that's where fights happen. But if you haven't, if you haven't got to a place where you define those expectations and you devi- define that vision, then in the moment that you have with disciplining your kids or spending money or whatever it may be, if your expectations aren't aligned, if your vision isn't aligned, that's where the fights happen. That's where the arguments happen. And that's where the emotions rise. And that's where, like Solomon does in the story, a lot of times we shut down. We either attack or we retreat. We are either turtles or porcupines. We attack or we retreat, right? And, and, and it's imperative that you take time together and you define clearly the expectations that you have. Here's another thing. It's not enough to identify. It's not enough to define. You have to clearly communicate your expectations. And you have to have that an ongoing conversation. Jennifer and I, we did that vision retreat years ago. The other day as we were talking about this, she goes, I think it's time for another retreat. <laughs> because it's an ongoing conversation. Because we're human and because sometimes we can communicate our expectations and then life happens and your expectations aren't being met. And that's how the enemy will come in and destroy your relationships and will destroy your marriage. And then here's the last one that I wrote down is this, is we have to close the gap. We have to close the gap. I want to explain that uh, to you with this little illustration. But first I want to read you a scripture. The Apostle Paul in his famous uh, little love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 said this. He says, love is patient. Let me replace that love with my name, Jason, okay? And this is what you should do. Put your name there and see if it's true. It's a measuring stick, right? Jason is patient. Jason is kind. Roger does not envy. Josh does not boast. Sandy is not proud. I'm I'm using people's names. I know we're in here, okay? And you're starting to squirm a little bit. Danielle does not keep a record of any wrongs. Uh, Judy does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Elton always protects. Jennifer always trusts. Always hopes, always perseveres. But here's what I want, I, want to, I want to point out. There's so many beautiful things right there. But I underline this one little phrase, always trust. Always love, true love, always trust. In other words, when you really study this word, trust is true love always believes the best. Always believes the best. Now let me show you this with expectation. Here's what happens. Is we have, uh, we have 
expectation right here. We'll have an expectation that our spouse is going to be home at a certain time after work, uh, that uh, your wife's going to, you know, uh, have washed your clothes or something. I don't know. That's so stereotypical, right? Uh, in this day and age, it's like your expectation is that your husband will have a meal on the table for you, right? It was, we're in a different world now. But there's an expectation that we have. There's a certain expectation that we have in our heart, in our mind. We, we have this vision and we see that something is going to be a certain way. This is our expectation. He's going to be home from work. He's going to, you know, make me dinner or he's going to take me on a date or a date's going to go a certain way or whatever. There's the expectation. And then here's what happens. And then we have the experience. And, and we, we expected he was going to be home by 6 p.m., but he was home by 6.37 p.m. That was the experience. So there's, a, there's, there's no alignment here, and there's a gap between expectation and experience. And right here, here's what we have to do mentally, emotionally. We have to fill the gap. You're going to fill the gap with something. You're going to fill this gap. You're going to close this gap with something. And I believe it's going to be one of two things. Watch. You're either going to believe the best. He, he said he'd be home at 6. It's 6.37. I'm going to believe that traffic was terrible in the city and the BART broke today. <laughs> Whatever, okay? I'm going to believe the best. You have to make a choice. This is a choice. And the Bible says that love always does this. Love always believes the best. Always closes the gap between expectation and experience with believing the best. Or you can do this. You can assume the worst. But you can't do both. I think that the enemy wants to get in our head always and cause us to assume the worst in every situation. And when this happens, this is where the breach happens and the break happens in relationships when our experience doesn't match our expectation because you're going to either assume the worst or you're going to believe the best. How do you do that? Here's how I try to do that. Jennifer and I, we were talking about this the other day about, about something with one of our friends is that we just had a, an expectation and here was an experience and we had to make a decision. Are we going to assume the worst? Or are we going to do what the Bible says and are we going to believe the best? I think your natural default, your, your, your natural bent needs to, it, it's going to be to assume the worst. But we have to come to the place where we begin to make the conscious decision to believe the best in our spouse. This even works at work. This is true with the people that work for you. This is true of your boss. This is true of every relationship, your kids. I think we have to just be people that believe the best. You know what this is? Grace. Grace, grace forces you to do this. You have to do this with grace. You cannot say that you're a grace-filled person if you're always assuming the worst. The only way you can say you're filled with grace is when you say, you know what? When my experience doesn't match my expectation, I'm going to believe the best. I thought we were going to make love tonight. And she's snoring. You need to believe the best. Some of you husbands are in here going, amen. Hallelujah. Believe the best. you got to close the gap with something. You're either going to assume the worst or you're going to believe the best. I love that. What a great little picture. So um, how do we, it's so funny. I usually preach on an iPad, and I keep doing this on the screen. This is a computer. I feel like my mom, okay, just touching the computer like, Mom, that's a computer. Don't do that. <laughs> hey, write this down. Write this down. Expectation is premeditated resentment. Expectation is premeditated resentment. It truly is. This premeditated resentment. What I have found is a lot of times in marriages, and even in Jennifer and I, in our marriage, is we have an expectation that we've never communicated to the other person. They don't even know it's an expectation. 
and then we don't have the experience to match our expectation that we never communicated. And now they've now become not our companion, but our enemy. And we resent them and we're mad at them and we're frustrated with them for an expectation that they never met, that they never knew was an expectation. Because expectation is premeditated resentment. Here, here's the amazing thing in the story when, when you look at it in chapter 5 is she finally changes her mind, comes to the door, opens the door, and now he is gone. So then, so, so watch. She, she's unlocked the door. She's opened the door. She, she's out now in this vulnerable place late at night by herself seeking and searching for her lover. And the Bible says in this poem that, that these men come around her and they, they beat her up. And she's bruised. Her heart is broken, and now she's beat up, and she's bruised. And, and here's what I, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, is that unmet expectations unlock the door for the enemy to beat up your marriage. This is what it does. It unlocks the door. It opens up the door for the enemy to be able to beat up your marriage. So here's what I'm discovering, that unmet expectations unaddressed will eventually cause us to resent our spouse and it will begin, we'll begin to see them as the enemy and we have to figure out, so how do, we, how do we fight forward? How do we fight this out in a healthy way? How do we talk this out? How do we work this out? And I want to give you just three really quicks. How do we fight in a healthy way, not to be right, but to be restored? Here's the first thing you got to do. You got to make a choice to do this. Fighting forward chooses to respond instead of react. Fighting for it. You want to fight for it in your marriage? You want your marriage to continue to move forward? You have to make a decision. I'm not going to react. That's emotional. I'm not going to react. I'm going to respond. The only way you can respond the right way, I believe, is a little self-denial, some humility, and a nice dose of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, you can't, listen, you can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. You can't. Only the Holy Spirit can produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Self-control, kindness, long-suffering, patience, gentleness, those things, you can't conjure that up. Like, like, just trust me, you can't. I can't either, you can't. And if you can, it'll only last for so long. You get the right buttons pushed, and you'll see. It just doesn't work. But when the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you, the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That way you can respond in gentleness. You can respond in love. You can respond in understanding. You can respond by just sometimes being silent and listening, listening to what she says, listening to what he says, and just, just allowing the Holy Spirit to do something through you to your spouse. Fighting forward chooses to respond instead of react. Uh, I love what Romans 12 says. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean, don't be overcome by evil? When someone is evil towards you, they say something that's hurtful. They say something that just kind of digs in a little bit. It can overcome you. It can overcome your emotions. It can get you all wound up. And then what is the natural reaction to that is, okay, you're going to, shots fired. You're going to shoot at me, and I'm going to shoot at you like two more times. You're going to say that. I know the right thing to say just to kind of dig into you a little bit. That's what our flesh wants to do. But when we respond rather than react, when a hurtful word is said to us, the Holy Spirit on the inside of us says, the reason she said that is because she's hurting. And hurt people hurt people. Don't respond. The Holy Spirit will speak to you in those moments. We'll say, Jason, because he does it to me all the time, Jason, shut your mouth. Like, that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to me. He's like, Jason, don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, and the Holy Spirit's like, you said it. Oh, my gosh, you said it. There you go. 
Here's the second one is this. Fighting forward chooses to focus on the good instead of the bad. Just believe the best. Fighting forward chooses to focus on the good instead of the bad. Look what, uh, what, what happens. She's outside. She's just beating herself up over this situation. But when you continue to look down in those verses, here's what she does. He's gone. Cannot be found. Giving her the silent treatment. Not responding to her text. Like, she doesn't know if he's ever coming back. But you know what she does? She doesn't start thinking, well, he shouldn't have showed up late, and he should have called me, and he should have, no, no, no. Look what she does. Verse number 10. My beloved is, she says this about him, my beloved is radiant and Rudy. I don't even know what Rudy is, but it sounds great. My beloved is radiant and Rudy, outstanding among 10,000. There's no one like him. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy, like mine, and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like the beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies, dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with topaz. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with lapis lazuli or something. His legs are pillars of marble. And this brother's been doing squats and leg press, got some great quads. Set on the bases of pure gold, his appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. Look what she, she reminds herself. This is my friend, not my enemy, my friend. Daughters of Jerusalem. You know what's amazing is that he's gone. He's away. There's a break in their relationship, and she chooses not to focus on the bad, but to focus on the good. I, I read something about Ruth Graham, Dr. Billy Graham's wife. I read this the other day that, you know, Billy Graham, uh, one of the things, that if you read through his biography and some of the different books uh, that he's written, he says that one of the regrets that he has, he has really two big regrets. One is that he didn't preach the gospel enough, right, which is amazing because he preached the gospel more than any other human that I'm aware of. But the other one is this, is that he felt like he was gone away too much doing ministry. And away from his family. Uh, a lot of people say that he was away, I think it was seven months a year. Uh, a lot of the years of his ministry, he was away from his family seven months out of the year, which is a lot, right? Um, and, and honestly, there was a season of church, uh, if you look back over this probably 100-year span, where a lot of people in ministry, they had this perception uh, that it was a noble thing because we're doing kingdom work and they neglected their families. And I'm not saying that Billy Graham did that, but in his own words, he said, I wish I would have been home a little bit more. And I even feel that. There's times whenever I'm away traveling and I feel like, man, I just, I wish I was home a little bit more uh, with my wife and my kids. And so knowing that, I read this article that said there was an interviewer that was interviewing his wife, Ruth, which she was a sweetheart, okay? This, this reporter is interviewing Ruth and he said to her, he said, you know, we've heard that your husband travels so much uh, that he's gone seven months out of the year. Doesn't that make you sick? A reporter asked her that. I love what Ruth's response was. In that moment, she could have said, yes, it does. I'm sick of Billy Graham. She could have said that. But instead, she says, you know what? With a smile on her face, five months with Billy Graham is better than 12 months with any other man. Isn't that great? What is she doing? She's choosing to focus on the good. Philippians 4.8 says this, whatever is true, whatever is the key word, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything, whatever and anything, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know what it's saying? In other words, like just find something 
to celebrate in your spouse. Find something. If he's always late, man, praise him because he has great white teeth. I don't know. Just find something. I think that's the point, right? It's find something. Focus on the good. You focus on the bad. Your heart's going to get toxic. Don't do that. And here's the last one for you. Fighting forward chooses talking instead of walking. Fighting forward chooses talking instead of walking. Where Solomon got it wrong in this poem is this, is that he got frustrated and rather than waiting for her to open up the door and talking this out, you know what he does? I'm out of here. I'm walking. I'm leaving. I'm not dealing with this woman. She's crazy. I'm out of here. She always does this. She never does this. Instead of talking, he walks away. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, in your anger, the emotions, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Notice it doesn't say anger is a sin. (laughs) This is going to free some of you up because some of you may be even angry at someone right now. That's not a sin, okay? It's not a sin to have that emotion. You can't help it, but you can help what you do with that emotion. And Paul says, in your anger, in your unmet expectation, in your disappointment, in your disillusionment, in that frustration, he says, don't sin. And then he says this, gets really practical. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry at her or at him. And do, watch this, and do not give the devil a foothold. You know what a foothold is? When you're climbing up a mountain, which I do that all the time. This Saturday, if you're a man, come to the man summit, right? Shameless plug. Didn't even plan that. It's great. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. But a foothold is when you're climbing up a mountain, you need a place to put your foot. It's that a little bit, put your foot right there. And if you can get a foothold, you can keep climbing. And if you have enough footholds, you can actually overcome something. You can overcome a mountain. Um, Here's what a lot of marriages do. Because they go to bed all the time angry at each other, they're just providing all these footholds for the enemy of their marriage to overcome their marriage and to destroy their marriage. And if you give, write this down because this is good. If you give the devil a foothold, he'll turn it into a stronghold. He will, he will build a stronghold. A, a, just imagine a castle with giant bricks all around you and then one all around her or all around him. And now you're two separate people. You are now divided. There is division. Die means two. There's two different visions. There's two different lives. There's two different stories. There's two different passions. There's two totally different tracks. And that's what the enemy does. If you'll allow anger to just stay in your marriage and allow the unmet expectations to stay there and never talk about it, then eventually you'll either walk out on him or her or you'll stay and you'll walk out on them in your heart. And you may not have a paper that says you're divorced, but you'll be divorced in your spirit towards your spouse if you allow the sun go down. I wrote this down, you know, uh, Jennifer and I, we've had many nights where we have unfortunately gone to bed with our backs to each other, back to back. You know, that's the posture of enemies. You've turned your back on me. We've had moments where, because we're not perfect, she is, I'm not, I'm the kind of bad one in the relationship, but uh, <clears throat> we've had nights where we've gone to bed back to back. But I told her the other day, I was like, you know what we need to start doing? We need to make a commitment never to go to bed back to back, but always to shut our eyes and let the sun go down face to face. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to have intimacy, but it just means we're going to talk about it. It means we're going to make sure that we don't go to bed back to back as enemies, but we stay face to face, vis-a-vis as companions that we say we're not going to walk out, we're going to talk this thing out.
And listen, that takes courage, that takes work, and it takes humility. In conclusion, I'll, I'll finish with this right here. I, I love that the Jewish tradition to read Song of Songs is God's love towards Israel. And then the, the, the modern translation is, is what we're, the, the modern tradition is the way we've been reading this, two lovers that love each other. But the Christian tradition to read Song of Solomon is this, is that we read it as, as the lover, the man is Jesus, and the, the Shulamite woman, that is the church. It's a picture. It's not a perfect picture because Solomon wasn't perfect. She wasn't perfect. But I always like to approach Scripture and say, where is Jesus in this? You know what? Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 says, Jesus, here I am, he says. I stand at the door and I knock, Jesus says. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in. I will eat with that person and they with me. You know what Jesus is saying? He goes, I'm the true and greater husband that will never leave you, that will stay gently knocking and asking you to open up your life to me. That is what the Song of Solomon is really all about. It's not just about two lovebirds. It's about one that loves you so much that he will never walk out on you. He will never leave you. you. Some of you, you've had people leave you. You've had spouses abandon you. You've had people relationally completely shatter your life. Listen, Jesus will never do that. He will never, he will never, any expectation that you have, he will supersede any expectation. Any disappointment that other people, he will never disappoint you. Jesus is the true and greater lover of our souls. Amen. I want you to bow your heads with me, and I want to pray for you. Lord, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth uh, that we find in your scriptures. And, God, we want to be people that fight forward, that we respond, we don't react. We want to be people that we believe the best, we don't assume the worst. God, we want to focus on the good, not the bad. God, and we want to make a decision that we will never walk out. And, and that, God, we'll, we're committed to always talking it out. That we'll never walk out, but we will talk it out. And when we talk it out, we will not use the language of walking out. That is that we will not have conversations and let our emotions run wild and then throw words like divorce or I'm leaving you out there. God, I pray that we'd be people of covenant that say that if we, if we make a covenant and we get in marriage with one another, we're never going to divorce. We're never going to leave one another. It's not even an option. We're committed by your grace and by your spirit to work things out. Well, we thank you for that today. Hey, with every head bow and every eye closed, I just want to do this. If you're sitting by your spouse, you're married, maybe you're engaged, I want you just to grab their hand right now. Just put your hand in their hand. And I want to pray. I felt like praying a prayer of blessing and covering over you. And you may even be here right now and you're married or you're engaged uh, and you and your companion are not in a good place right now. I'm going to pray for a miracle in your marriage. And I'm going to believe that God's going to do it. And I'm going to believe that you're going to make a commitment today. Come hell or high water, I am never leaving this person. I'm going to work this thing out. I'm going to be in covenant forever. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name for every single married couple. God, I pray for, for them, for their emotions, for maybe even unmet expectations, for brokenness, for pain, for heartache, for any of those things. I just come right now and I just ask you, Lord, to bring healing God, your word says you're close to the brokenhearted. God, that you restore hope. God, when people have lost hope, 
God, restore hope for every marriage. Do a miracle in every marriage, God. God, I pray for all of us that regardless, maybe we don't need necessarily a miracle now. I just pray that there would be a miracle covering around us, that you'd protect our marriages. God, you'd protect the couples in our church, the families in our church, God. God, that our, our, our families, our couples would be strong, would be healthy in Jesus' name. And right now, Lord, I pray for those that maybe they are divorced and they've walked through that pain. God, will you right now, would you bring healing to their heart? Those that maybe are widowed, Lord, that you would comfort them. Those that maybe are single today and, God, they feel like sometimes they're so alone and they just desire companionship. I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit that you would shed your love abroad in their heart and that they would know that they are not alone and that you do love them and that you do care for them and that you do see them. And God, I pray that you would grant them the desire of their heart, that first you would make them whole and complete so that you can give them the gift of a spouse, Lord, that they can love them and serve them from a place of wholeness. And we pray that today in Jesus' name, amen.